As we come now to the scripture, let me ask you, please, to pray with me. Father in heaven, as we began our worship this morning, we, we invoked your name, we called upon your name, that you would reveal yourself to us, and that nothing could distract our attention from you, that nothing could take our minds from you, that nothing could rival our affections for you, nothing could take the praise that is due your name. Pray that again. That as we come to the scripture that you would help us, that you would cause our attention to be focused upon it and it would give birth in us deep affections for you. And that we would live in such a way that's worthy of Christ, pleasing to him. That our very lives would be praise to his name. Help us now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Turn please to Colossians and chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. I want to read, uh, perhaps the last time at least for now, uh, this section, Colossians 3 verses 1 through 17, and then pick up the final couple of verses. Colossians in chapter 3, please. Hear the word of God. If then you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful that the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs and psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I want, if God will help me, to take up Just these last two verses which read, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let me just begin with some general observations about these verses. And, and I do that because what we really want to do is know what they mean and how we're to live them out, how we're to apply them. We believe that this is the word of God. We believe that it's infallible, which means it's true. We believe it's inerrant, which means it can't err. And, and so 
our desire then is to, to learn from it. And so I want to take just a moment and, and make a number of, of observations about these two verses and then get to the heart of the matter, I hope, and then help us to see how to live that, that out. The, the first observation about these two verses is that they deal with uh, our lives together. They're concerned about our lives together as a corporate body, as a group of people, as a community of believers in Jesus. They, they're... they're um, about that, this whole passage, really, the whole letter is is about living life together as followers of Christ. We, we see that in, in verse 5, for instance. So we're to put to death various things which destroy relationships. We're to put off sexual immorality and impurity and passion and evil desire and covetousness. All of those things destroy life together. When there's sexual immorality, that destroys life together, really. If there's evil desires, it destroys life together. If there's covetousness, it destroys life together. Uh, not only that, we're to put off, he says in verse 8, we're to put off anger and wrath and malice and slander and obscene talk, those kinds of things that no one should say to one another. Uh, those things destroy life together. If we live in a community where people are angry and malicious and slanderous and so forth, it would destroy life together. So this whole passage is about how it is that we live really life together. We're to put on things which, which maintain life together, which, which give life to that unity, which give life to that community, which, which restores life in that community. When he says that we're to be people who are compassionate and kind and humble and meek and patient, people who bear with one another, people who forgive, those kinds of behaviors... Um, feed, maintain, restore this life together. So it's all about that. It's how we're to live life together. And the crowning jewel of all of that is that we're to put on love, which is the very thing that, that binds not, all these, not only all these other things, but also all of us together in a sense of harmony together. Where there isn't love, there isn't real community, there isn't real harmony together, there isn't real peace. And so, so he's, he's saying all of these things to, to speak to us about our lives together. And then in verse 15, which we took up last week, he says that we're to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. And that's about our life together as well. This peace that Christ died to establish. This peace among us that Christ died to achieve. Um, this isn't about uh, simply... Uh, this, the peace that we might feel in our hearts. That isn't what he's talking about, this peace that's to rule our decisions. So many times people make decisions and they say, well, I know it's right because I have a peace about it. You realize that's quite dangerous. <laughs> uh, Hitler slept well. And there are times when even in the midst of our sin, we might be quite content and we might sleep quite well. We, we might have a certain measure of peace isn't so much a subjective peace that's even to rule our own decisions as the peace that we have with God. Is this all right with him? That's really the point of it. We must be careful about that sense of subjective peace. Well, I feel good about that. I've had people come into my office and tell me they feel good about all kinds of things which are clearly contrary to the scripture. And I've had other people struggle with a decision that's clearly consistent with scripture. And yet they're afraid, and I feel their fear, I know that. Afraid to step out and do that, but, but I don't have no real peace in that subjective kind of way, no real calm about that, but, but it's clear that this is something that would be pleasing to the Lord. So we have to be cautious about that kind of peace. And Paul isn't talking about that at all here. He might in some other passages, but he's not here. Here he's talking about that peace which um, Christ died to achieve 
among us. And so we're to strive for that peace. And that's the peace that's the rule. We're to ask ourselves the question, as we said last Sunday, what will what I'm thinking or doing or saying do to the peace in our community, peace in the body of Christ, peace in the church, which Christ died to achieve? We must be thinking of that all the time. What am I called to sacrifice for the peace of the church, for the peace of the community of believers? That's what he's talking about. And it's that peace that's the rule in the context of our, of our relationship. So it's, it's, it's about our life together. And now he moves on to say in verse 15 that our communication with one another, our, our admonishing and our teaching, and that our singing even as we communicate with God and even with each other through our singing of psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness. Even that is to be informed by this word of Christ which is common to all of us. That's something we share together, the word of Christ. And so then that's to inform how we relate to each other, how we communicate with other, how we teach one another, how we warn each other in the things, uh, uh, the dangerous things of life and, and how it is that we even sing together, worship together. All this in that sense of, 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 of being together, this sense of unity, this sense of belonging to one another. So it's about that, and, and therefore we must realize that in order for us to live a life worthy of Christ, as the Apostle begins this letter in chapter 1, to live worthy of Christ, to be fully pleasing to Him, then we must be in relationship with one another. Church, in that sense, is not an option. I'm always distressed when Christians make the headlines in Newsweek. Uh, Billy Graham's daughter, Ann Graham Lotz, uh, made it last week. And um, she said something, and, and again, I, I respect her family greatly. I'm friends with some members of the Graham family. And I uh, respect certainly her and what she does and her father most especially. And this was in Newsweek, so it could be completely out of context. So, But there's an error here, or just something I think that causes some concern. Starts out by saying Anne Graham Lotz, the second of Billy and Ruth Graham's five children, says it's all right as long as you have a personal relationship with Jesus. Church doesn't really matter. Now, she's had some difficulties in church. She said she was kicked out of a church because she believed in the inerrancy of Scripture. That may tell you more about the church than about the issues there. Uh, But... um, but it's a misunderstanding of church and it flows perhaps from something that they quote her father from saying. He says, her father has always strongly advised Christians to attend church. Church is more than something we attend. Now I know what he means by that and I know what she means by the difficulties in, in church life and how difficult that could be. But you see, we have no choice about church. We are church. We've been united together, like it or not. You know, you can pick your friends. <laughs> stuck with your relatives. Uh, Jesus saves people we don't like. And he puts us together with them. And so here we find ourselves. And, and we're growing together. Some more mature, some less. Some young, some old. Some different cultures, different contexts. All of that kind of thing. And, and so here we are all together, you see. So it isn't that we simply attend church. That would be like saying, well, I attend my family. Ooh. 
You belong to your family. If you find yourself attending your family, and we all know what that means because there are certain families we attend. We know we're in trouble with family when we're simply attending. Now again, I know what they mean. We attend church services, yes. But church... It's more than that. It's belonging to that. These church services, these worship services that we hold on Sundays are the hub of that. I mean, that's the place where we come together. That's the place where we gather. That's God's wisdom. He says once every seven days, come together and acknowledge that you belong to me and belong to each other. Think about me and that will inform your life. So, so we come together to do that. And we pray and we, we worship, we say, as we, as we pray and we sing and we listen and, 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 and so forth. All of that is good. It's the hub of it. It's the same way in a family. I trust your, your family has a hub, a place where you all come together and you acknowledge the fact that we belong to one another. could be mealtimes, before bed. could be a number of different, different places, different venues. Extended families have hubs where they come together every so often, whether it's Christmas or Thanksgiving or Fourth of July or whether it's Easter or whether it's a family reunion. They come together and, and in that place, in that time, there's, no matter how subtle it is, there's an acknowledgement. We belong to one another. Uh, and it isn't just that that isn't family just those moments but they're acknowledgments of that it's, it's kind of the hub of that and, and so worship services are the hub of that but, but, but really we belong to each other in a sense like it or not but God calls us to like it because it doesn't please him when we don't Again, if we could use the metaphor, the illustration of family, it's the same kind of thing as a dad. I would hate it if my kids showed up for a special occasion for our family and didn't want to be there, didn't want to be with each other. Now, I know, I was just with my family last Tuesday. It was my dad's 90th birthday, so we all got together. And there were some tensions. <laughs> I attended some of those Events. Uh, and then I realized, no, I'm preaching this on Sunday. I better be better than this. So I repented. So I'm convicted by my preaching way more than you are, I'm sure. But, but I realized, no, we belong together. Though we're very different in my family. Very different. How do we, how do we make this work then? And how do we like it? <laughs> how, do we make, how do we make it? Because there's no blessing to my 90-year-old dad who drove us all to the restaurant. Uh, No blessing to him if we are not enjoying ourselves around him. And there's no blessing to God, you see, if we're not enjoying ourselves as his people, as church, right? So it isn't that we attend church, that we are church, this is, this, this is part of it. This is the hub of it. This joins us together, gives us an opportunity to say, yeah, we really do belong to God. We really do belong together. This is, this is how we do that. But, but, but it's more than that. There's something here about living life together. So, this passage is about living together. We can't live worthy of Christ, fully pleasing to him, unless we do. And thirdly, for a lack of a better term, just notice the balance that is here. In verse 15, we're to let the peace of Christ rule. And in verse 16, we're, we're to let the word of Christ dwell. So in the midst of community, there's both peace and truth. One isn't sacrificed for the other. 
It isn't that we throw truth aside so that we can live in peace. Well, I won't mention that. We won't talk about that. On the other hand, it isn't that we use truth in some way to divide from one another. One author, and I honestly can't remember who it was. I don't think I wrote this. I found it on my computer. I don't think I wrote it. But someone did. But I can't tell you who. But I liked it. (laughs) I should take more careful notes. He writes this. I assume he might have been a she. The person writes this. Let me observe that often in the church there are two kinds of people. Those who push the peace of Christ but ignore the word of Christ. And those who push the word of Christ but ignore the peace of Christ. Paul calls us to embrace the vital importance of both. Both the peace and the word of Christ. The peace of Christ rules the church and the word of Christ deeply informs the church. If you're drawn to the word of Christ and you believe that the most important activity we must do in the church is to get into the word so that the word of Christ may dwell richly, then you are halfway to applying Paul's exhortation. If I'm describing you, then you need to seriously pursue Paul's first exhortation. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. If you're drawn to the peace of Christ and you believe that the church should pursue peace at all costs, then you're halfway to applying Paul's exhortation. If I'm describing you, then you need to seriously pursue Paul's second exhortation, that the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The two are not mutually exclusive. A person who has one, but not the other, is imbalanced and spiritually poor. But the two go together nicely and may be pursued and enjoyed without diminishing the other. Good counsel. It isn't peace without truth. It isn't truth without peace. If we're really pursuing truth, then we're really pursuing peace. Because the truth is that we're to let the peace of Christ rule in us. And if we're really pursuing peace, then we're really pursuing truth. Because that peace comes only because of what Christ has done. So both must go together. Now I know the tension, however. I know that there are differences in communities of believers in Christ about some very important things and some other sort of jot and tittle kinds of things. And so how do we maintain peace in the midst of that? Not necessarily easy, but it's certainly that is to be our goal. How do we work this through honestly together and talk it through? There are also situations of of sin in the, in the, in the body. How, how, do we, how do we work that through? How do we give people space to repent and to grow? And yet, how do we also maintain purity in the context of the church? Not an easy thing, but yet it's that to which we've been called. I think if anyone had it right on these kinds of matters about staying together or perhaps splitting, it was Francis Schaeffer who in a sense said we should never split until we're weeping. We should never split until we're weeping. It isn't, the ma- it isn't something to say, well, you know, I'm out of here because I never wanted to be with you anyway. No, 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 it isn't that at all. It's that we'll do whatever we can to make this work in the context of that which is true. So we'd never split unless we're weeping. But God has joined us together We need to live that through. Fourthly, this isn't a passage that's necessarily 
easy to translate. Let me, let me illustrate. Verse 16 says, that The word of Christ, I'm reading out of the English Standard Version, which is a version I've been reading for the last number of years. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. What we get from that, the way it's laid out, the way it's translated in this particular version, is that the word of Christ is to dwell in us. And then because of that, you get the sense, because it's dwelling in us richly, informed by that word of Christ that's in us, we're to teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. So you get a sense that we get wisdom from this indwelling word of Christ, and now we teach and admonish one another. Teach, we, we talk about that which we, is true and we should do, and warn, admonish one another about those things which are dangerous to stay away from. Uh, and then he says, probably from this sense of, 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 of the word of Christ that's in us, that we're also then to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in our hearts to God. So in one sense, the, the word of Christ gives us wisdom so we can teach and admonish. In the other sense, it makes us happy. It makes us thankful. Of course it does. We learn what Christ has done. And so then we're to sing. And he says you can sing variously of psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, all with thankfulness in your hearts. But the, the overriding deal is if you're one in whom the word of Christ dwells, then... Then, then, then you'll do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That's one way of looking at that particular passage, translating it. Um, if you have a, a new international version, uh, it translates it in a, in a similar kind of way, except even more um, explicitly. It reads like this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So you get this sense, word of Christ, teach and admonish, sing. However, the New American Standard Version of the Bible, which many of you have, it's a great translation, reads like this. It says, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness, in your hearts to God. Now, I don't know if you caught that by my reading, but the point there in the NASB is that we're to teach and admonish by singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, or through singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now, that isn't a wacko translation. In fact, when Paul writes in Ephesians in chapter 5, a similar kind of thing, he puts it like this, he says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. This is Ephesians 5.18. Don't get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody uh, to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus. Here he says that we're to address or to speak to one another, which is similar to teaching and admonishing, we're to, to address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Oh, that's a little strange, you might say. You call somebody up and sing them a tune, you know, about, about their lives, you know. Um, you can do that. Uh, the question is which, and I'll get to how you do that in a minute. The question is, which is right? And the answer is yes. 
in a sense, it really doesn't matter because all throughout the scripture we're to teach and admonish one another with real words and in, you know, just regular language without singing to each other. So that's fine. Paul, in fact, describes his ministry like this in chapter 1, verse 20. He says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. And, and Paul didn't sing to people, he talked to people. And so, so, so we can talk it or we can sing it. It doesn't really matter. But the point is here that it's the indwelling word of Christ that's to inform all of our teaching and admonishing and all of our singing uh, and even our singing can teach and admonish us. So we need to pay attention at that point. At that point. And then finally this, just in terms of, of, of observations, Paul lists for us the three sort of categories of singing psalms hymns and spiritual songs and the question is is are they is he trying to say there's three types of singing in church or there or or, or these kind of piled on each other are these simply three ways of expressing the same thing and the answer is we're not quite sure when he writes psalms it could be as generic as singing songs with instrumentation because the word psalm simply means to pluck as in a plucking a stringed instrument and so psalms are and you read through the psalms you'll find all kinds of instructions about instrumentation and all of that and the instruments to be used and so forth and so it could simply be you know when you come together and sing and you got various kinds of instruments and you're using them sing with instruments that's one way it's good or hymns um, that are uh, or, or let me go back to that. He could simply be referring to the Old Testament Psalms and the Book of Psalms. It's not as clear here as it is in other passages, but but it could be saying sing the Psalms there. And certainly in the tradition of the church, that's been done, and we do it as well in various kinds of ways. So song, so so Psalms, and also could say just Psalms that you write, Psalms that are like the Psalms, but not inspired in the same inerrant, infallible kind of way, but, but that kind of genre of music. Or hymns, songs that you might write, hymns of praise. In fact, in Scripture it's interesting, hymns and psalms can be used interchangeably. In fact, there's a great expression in the life of Jesus after he was with his disciples and he was on his way out to the Garden of Gethsemane right on the night that he was betrayed and going to be ultimately then crucified. It said they sang a hymn and went out. Now, it's likely, most likely, that they sang a psalm because that would have been part of the Passover ritual. It's likely that they sang Psalm 118, in fact. And so here, however, in the New Testament, it's called a hymn. So it could be a hymn, a psalm, a spiritual song. What is that? Well, it's a song that comes from the Spirit, yes, but in the sense that it's true about Christ, a spiritual song. Paul talks about speaking to one another in spiritual words. Those aren't funny words that we make up. Those are regular words, but he says these are words of truth concerning Christ. So sing songs of truth concerning Christ, informed by the indwelling word of Christ. Uh, some says this means that we should all come together and praise, and so that people could, could just sort of spontaneous sing spontaneously sing whatever song comes into their, their mind, maybe one that they've made up at the moment, maybe one that isn't a, re- a real song, but everyone prays together. If you've been in certain gatherings of Christians, you might have experienced that kind of thing. Um, or others might say this is what Paul might refer to as singing with one's spirit or singing in tongues even. Um, I, I think it's neither of those, quite frankly, only because if we're to teach one another and admonish one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, it's kind of hard to do that when you can't make out what people are singing. So it isn't very edifying at that point. But 
Just an observation. Here's the guts of it. The guts of it is that all of our communication, in the context of our relationship, is being, to be informed by, founded upon, the indwelling word of Christ. Now what does that mean? What's this word of Christ? Well, Paul could have used simply to say the word. If you read through the book of Acts, you'll find that it was the word that was spreading. That's the only, only, only buzzword that was used. There was word. The word was spreading. Could have used the word of God. He uses that in other occasions as well. Could have been the word of truth. He uses that in other occasions. In fact, he uses that in Colossians in, in chapter 1. He speaks of the, the, this in, in verse 5. He says, of this you heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. So he could have used the word of truth. He could have used the gospel. He uses the word of Christ, I think, most think, because of the situation in Colossae. The, 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 the key point there is what of Christ? Is he sufficient or is he not sufficient for us? And so every reference Paul makes is to Christ. As, as you read through the letter, he could have said things in various kinds of ways, but he keeps coming back to Christ, to Christ, to Christ. So now he's saying what, what should inform you is the word, the truth, the word that comes from Christ. I don't think Paul is saying that each one of us should have this sort of little voice inside of our heads or hearts or wherever it is that is the word of Christ kind of talking to us and we need to get in touch with that and when we can hear that, then we follow that way too specific and heretical but you're supposed to smile when I say that but I mean it is but uh, um, by this sense of the truth the gospel that which is true of Christ and we could we could get specific on that but but really I think knowing Paul it's it's the whole breadth of the scripture one of the dangers I think is, is red-letter editions of the Bible. Now, I have one, and I'm reading it. I don't like it for two reasons. One, I don't like reading red. But secondly, it gives the impression that those words are more important than all the others. You say, well, they're the words of Jesus. It's all the words of Jesus, folks, from beginning in Genesis all the way through. It isn't that we pit the words of Jesus against the words of Moses or Jesus against the words of, of David or Jesus against the words of Isaiah or Jesus against the words of Paul or Jesus against the words of Peter and so forth. No, it's, it's all the word of God, all brought forth by the Holy Spirit, all God breathed. And so we're to know this word of God. That's what's to make us wise. The very word of God is to dwell within us. And how does it get there? Well, not by magic. It gets there by reading. It gets there by listening. It gets there by studying. It gets there by meditation. It gets there by considering it. We run the gamut sort of through the scripture itself about, about what it says. For instance, in, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, Moses is, is talking about the the, the Israelites as they went through the, the, the difficult times and went through the wilderness. And he, he writes of that in Deuteronomy 8.3. He says, and, and he, God, and he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. He says, there's no real life, you see, unless you know this word that God has spoken. Unless you know it, unless you believe it, unless indeed you live by it. Very dramatically then in Deuteronomy chapter 11, Moses puts this. 
He says, well, God says it. You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul. So he says, that's how important it really is. Remember Jesus, and this is, these are, I have a book in my library called The Hard Sayings of Jesus. And I might write one someday that's the chilling words of Jesus. Here's a chilling sentence from the lips of our Lord Jesus. He said, They praise me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Wow. We should never want to be there. It isn't simply the sin of hypocrisy. I mean, we're all hypocritical and all that. But the hypocrisy of that, to say that, oh, I love him, God, but you don't. And so Moses says, you shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul. And so as we're listening to them, we're praying, God, make this real to me. Help me to embrace this. That's why before we read the scripture, we pray a prayer of illumination. Uh, Bring light to this. Let me see it and trust and believe it. He says, lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul. You sh- and, and then he says, you shall bind them as a sign. Now, this isn't necessary for us to do. This was old covenant stuff. But, but the point is helpful. He says, I want to give you a sign about how significant these words are so that you don't forget. He says, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. And so there's a sense in which, you know, they have little boxes and little things with the law in them that strapped to their hands or even wear a little thing around their heads with a little box that would have the commandments written in them. And, and what that would do is every time you reached your hand for something, you would think about God. Is this pleasing to him that I put my hand there? Is this pleasing that I do that? Is this pleasing that I use my body for that? On your mind, every thought that you think, you feel this thing pressing against your mind. And you think, well, is is this thought pleasing to the Lord? That's the sense of the word of God dwelling in us. That we know it in such a way that everything is filtered by it. Or as the apostle would write in another place, that every thought is taken captive to the obedience of Christ. Everything we do is taken captive to the obedience of Christ. The question is, is this pleasing to God? Is my life informed by him? And he says, so, so that's what you do. Then he says in verse 19, you shall teach them to your children, uh, talking of them when you're sitting in your house, when you're walking by the way, and when you lie down, when you rise. He says, don't let an opportunity leave you that you don't speak to your children with this. We baptize little Jillian. These thoughts go through my mind. Every occasion that we have with her, every occasion we have with our children to teach them. We must take advantage when we're sitting with them, when we're walking with them, when we're talking, to speak the things that are true about God. And so if you don't know the word of God, if you don't know it, if you don't know the word of Christ, what can you say to your children that's really of any eternal value? Have you ever thought of that? If you don't know the word of Christ, what can you really say to your children that's of any eternal value? You can get them through tomorrow if God gives them breath. You can get them through tomorrow. You can help them make a living. They live in America. Give them a good education. Give them some good uh, discipline. And they'll be able to make a living. That's, that's not that hard. But that won't be of eternal value. What are you going to teach them if you don't know the word of Christ? And that's his point. And then he says, You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. 
Why? So that every time you walk in your house, you're saying, this belongs to Christ. And, and everything that goes on here is to be pleasing to him. And as you enter into it, you remind yourself of that. If you see old movies of old Hebrew Jewish families, you'll, you'll find very often as they go, they touch their hands, they touch their head, they touch the doorpost of their house. Why? To remind themselves, this is all of God. Or to be indwelt by this word. Scripture says in Deuteronomy, in chapter 32, later on, uh, Moses writes to them after he's given them this, this whole law. And he says to them, uh, For this is no empty word for you, verse 47, but your very life. And by this word you shall live long in the land that you're going over the Jordan to possess. This is not an idle word for you. This word is really, really your life. As God comes to Joshua the successor of Moses, he says to him, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. And he says, it shouldn't depart from your mouth. That doesn't mean you shouldn't speak it. It means that the words that are in your mouth should always be informed by this word that dwells within you. Because you meditate on it day and night. I could go on and on, obviously, throughout the scripture. Perhaps as we come to the New Testament, we realize from the very lips of Jesus, he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. He said this indwelling word of God. The apostle writes to his son in the faith, Timothy, concerning the scripture. And he writes this. He says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness of the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. And he says, That will give you wisdom. That will give you wisdom. And it, it gives you the wisdom to teach. Teaching is crucial in the life of the church. In fact, as Jesus gave the command and we call the Great Commission. He says that we're to teach everyone to obey all that Jesus commanded. This isn't just something Paul did. It isn't just something the apostles did. This is something in the context of our relationships that we're constantly teaching one another. That's why we have to put on compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and, and patience and forbearance and forgiveness and all that so that we can be good teachers of one another. So we can really love each other not be uppity about it, not be puffed up about it, not be arrogant about it, but come to one another in humility and say, let me help you here. I, I, think, I, I, think, I think I know something that would be helpful here. Let me warn you here. I, th- I think I know something that could be, could be helpful here. And I come in humility, not in arrogance, but, but I just come in. We need to have those kinds of relationships, all kinds of venues. Paul writes to the church in, in Rome like this, in Romans chapter 15, he says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. He wasn't worried, Paul wasn't. He sent said this great letter, but he, but he said, but he said I, I think you can do this. I think you can instruct one another. And that's what he's saying to us. Love each other like that. Instruct one another. Admonish one another. Receive from one another. It's this context in which you've been united. So love one another like that. Teach one another. Admonish one another. Warn each other. 
Remember what the author of Hebrews says, encourage one another as long as it's called today so that your hearts aren't hardened. We're in this together. We need one another. We need to hear these words from each other. So all of our communication is to be informed by the indwelling word of Christ. And if we haven't got that, we haven't got anything to say. And if we haven't got anything to say with each other, to each other, we're in trouble. If you're not wise enough to help me in my life, I'm in trouble. If I'm not wise enough from the word of God to help you in your life, you're in trouble. We need each other. That's the way it works. There isn't any second best. There isn't any plan B. That's how it works. We're stuck with each other. So he says, now be in. Let the word of Christ dwell in you to inform you. And then what that should do as you wise with each other is it should cause you to be thankful. And that should cause you to sing. It's amazing that Christian faith is one of the few religions where singing is really not optional. We sing. Why do we sing? Because we must. It's an expression to God. He commands it, yes, for our own good, but that may be something we'd get even if he didn't command us to sing in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And you see, we must listen to each other because that's one of the ways that we instruct each other. That's a way, one of the ways we admonish each other. I was just looking over our bulletin this morning. We didn't pick these songs so I could do this. But, but just thinking, just, oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, we were reminded of the triumphs of his grace. Isn't that a great thing to be reminded of, especially when life is difficult? And, and here you are, you go, no, his grace will triumph. We sang that to God and to each other this morning. I hope you were paying attention. And then I, I don't think there's a better... Line in all of poetry, he breaks the power of canceled sin. Wow, that says pretty much everything about the death of Christ. In the death of Christ, he broke its power and he canceled it. Breaks the power of cancel. He sets us free, makes the foulest clean. There isn't any anybody who doesn't fit foulest, right? Oh, I'm more foul than that. No, 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 no. Foulest. That's it. And then he reminds us of our calling to praise him, to give him thanks. We sang about his, him being an everlasting king. I don't know. I've shared before many times when life is falling apart. And I look at situations where I just wonder, what's going on? I ask myself questions. Where's God the Father? He's in glory. Where's Jesus? He's ruling and reigning. Where's the Spirit of God? He's here. He's everlasting. He's the everlasting king. He doesn't stop ruling and reigning. It may seem that way certain times in, in your life. But, and maybe that happened and you come this morning. You should listen to these things because you've been told that he's the everlasting king. He doesn't stop ruling and reigning. Just because your life is falling apart doesn't mean he's not ruling and reigning. Trust him. He's got the pieces. He says, don't let our faith forsake its hold nor the comforts sink or our love for you grow cold in Christ alone is really you need to take this home and think about it it's really singing the apostles creed pretty much speaks of Christ it speaks of his birth and incarnation speaks of his death and his resurrection speaks of our forgiveness of sins and no guilt and then it enables us to say to each other in the in this company of people I'm going to stand in Christ I heard you sing that this morning if it wasn't true you shouldn't have sung it But you had an opportunity in the midst of that song 
to proclaim to this company of people that you're one who stands in Christ. There's nothing better to say than that. There's nothing better to hear someone say than that. You know, there are times when a loved one will pass away and I'll be with the family and they'll be saying, but I never heard him or I never heard her really talk about his faith or her faith. And you know how sad that is? If you're a Christian, tell your family, all right? Speak it out. Don't just come to church faithfully. Sit down and tell them you believe in Jesus. You've trusted in him. They might see it by your life. You may be great in every kind of way, but let your lips say it to them so that when you die, they'll have that assurance. Well, if you're not sure of the people you came with, watch them sing at least. Did they sing that song? Ask them about it. You said, I'm standing in the power of Christ. Is that true? That'd be good lunch conversation. (laughs) Then, for the beauty of the earth, we're giving him thanks. We're thanking him for, for the beauty of the earth, the skies. And this is our hymn, we said, of grateful praise. And then we prayed that God would speak to us. Pay attention to the songs that we sing. That's how we're taught. I could, I could go through 50 at least hymns of the church and teach you everything you need to know about God and us. It's all there. Listen. Buy a hymn book. Sing it. Read it. It'll inform your faith. And we come and we sing to one another. And he says, all right, Indwelled by the word of Christ, everything. Do you think, say, and do everything in your life? You're to do in the name of the Lord Jesus. He's to inform everything. Let me close this morning with an ancient 5th century prayer that speaks of Christ being our all in all. It goes like this. First line. I bind unto myself today that as I attach myself to this this is true of me old language as I bind unto myself today the power of God to hold and lead his eye to watch his might to stay his ear to hearken to my need the wisdom of my God to teach his hand to guide his shield to ward the word of God to give me speech his heavenly host to be my guard And then he says this, Christ be with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ deep within me, Christ below me, Christ above me, Christ at my right hand, Christ at my left hand, Christ as I lie down, Christ as I arise, Christ as I stand, Christ in the heart of everyone who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks to me. Christ in every eye that sees me. Christ in every ear that hears me. Pray with me. Father, we come to you. We pray that your word would work in us, dwell there, live there, transform our lives. It would enable us to be wise, to speak to each other. It would enable us to be thankful and sing. It would cause us to know that our whole lives are bound up in Christ. And that all we're to do, we're to do in his name, 
worthy of him, pleasing to him. Father, we pray that be true for all of us. We pray that be true most especially for those who are suffering. Most especially for those who are difficult. We pray that for parents as they raise their kids. We pray that for husbands and wives as they live together in marriage. We pray that for kids as they relate to parents. We pray that for friendships. We pray that in the context of the mission to which you've given us as the body of Christ. Father, enable us to know you, to be filled with your word, to teach well, to warn rightly, and to be thankful. And this, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand for the benediction.